0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb, and we have another top 10 show coming kind of hot off the heels of the last Innistrad one, but I'm I'm not mad about it. I think that this set looks good. I think it's going to do good things for standard, and I actually just can't wait to play with these cards.
1: Yeah, tomorrow's the day. We're recording this on Wednesday. Try and get this out right about the same time the set releases. So you can choose to disperse your wild cards wisely. That's all I ask. Use your wildcards wisely. Think about what you're doing. Part of that is probably uh not listening to me all that much in the first weeks, because I will I will have some out there stuff, but I, I do think like I have a good idea of what will actually be successful. There's stuff I want to try, which I'm backburnering for the time being. If you caught my article on Star City this week, I think there is a framework for succeeding in this format. And that is where I'm starting my explorations.
0: A lot of the good cards are rares. Uh, rares yes. make up the majority of our top 10 list. Plus do, do we some...
1: have any? Do we have yeah. any Mythics on there? Hold on. Oh, Mythics? No. No, there's not one, right?
0: Yeah, so it's that. That was going to be my point. Is that like there's the new cycle of dual lands? There's a lot of good rares that are fillers for your decks, like one and two drop creatures, and mm. not a lot of good mythics. So I'm I'm excited to run into the problem that I basically always
1: had, which is you know thirty mythic wild cards and no rares. Nope, I have the opposite problem. So this is <laughs> this is the set made for me somehow. I'm the only one on the planet with this problem. Everyone is like, how is this possible? I don't know. I, I do know. It's because I build weird, stupid decks around various mythics, so.
0: Yeah, but you also build like a lot of the normal stuff, too. So I don't know if you're just like outspending me or playing more or whatever. Who knows?
1: Yeah, it's it's not the latter. It's probably the former is my guess.
0: So the last show we did a top 13 because ooh spooky Innistrad.
1: Spooky. But this one is less spooky. So how did, you, how did you come to that conclusion? Is it actually that you only have 10 cards you want to talk about? No, because we
0: have some honorable mentions and whatnot, right? So do, do you think that it's vampires
1: a, are inherently less spooky than werewolves?
0: Uh, yes, but also it's, it's like a wedding,
1: right? I mean, maybe it's like a creepy wedding, but it's not. Some it, people find weddings very spooky. Uh, well, I personally enjoyed my wedding and I, I am happily married, so I don't have that type of vibe, but I know a yeah, lot of people who are afraid of weddings. I wasn't invited to your wedding, so I wouldn't know. We didn't speak <laughs> as much back then. I don't think that's a fair criticism. If I would do my wedding right now, you'd be in my, uh, groomsmen. How does that sound?
0: Uh, great. Sounds like extra work for me. Love it. That's true. I've, I've been a groomsman in probably like half the weddings I've been to. Okay. See, that's the type of person you are. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, weddings are spooky,
1: sure, but whatever. I mean, we can talk about 13 cards if you want to. I think we're going to, despite the fact that we made a top 10 list, because you've got an honorable mention, I've got an honorable mention, we have a dishonorable mention, so 13 cards are going to get mentioned one way or another. Dude, let's start
0: with a dishonorable mention. It wouldn't be an Arena Decklist podcast if we didn't start it off by complaining.
1: Sure. Let's get it out of the way to begin with. So this
0: card... I will, I will say is not bad. Agreed. However, it oddly is getting a ton of love, and I don't really know where that's coming from. So this is Concealing Curtains, which is B for an O4 creature wall with Defender, and you can pay 2B to transform this, activate only as a sorcery. The backside is a 3-4 I Horror with Menace, and when this creature transforms into Revealing Eye, target opponent reveals their hand. You may choose a non-land card from it. If you do, that player discards that card, then draws a card.
1: I think I know why this is getting the hype. And like you said, I think this is a fine card. I, I don't hate it. I've seen some people call this the best card in the set. It's not on our top 10. So, I mean, we we don't feel like it's among the top 10 best cards in the set. I, I mean, maybe I have it like... 15, 16, something around that range. Uh, it wasn't on my bigger first pass list, but I, I do think it's solid. The thing I think is drawing people in is a comparison to two very, very good cards. Vendillion Click, Thought Not Seer. Those are the two cards that immediately spring to mind. And if you look at it just in terms of pure numbers, Concealing Curtains lines up pretty well with Thought Not Seer, right? You're, you're taking a card, eventually giving one back. It's a four of investment. You get a 3-4 menace out of the deal, or that early 0-4, which I think a lot of people are you know, seeing as a huge plus in part of their equation. So I sort of understand how people are getting to this point. I think the problem is that it doesn't actually do any of these jobs very well. I don't think 0-4 blocker is all that good. I think the fact that there is a moment of vulnerability for this card before it gets that card from your opponent is the biggest problem. Because that transformability... I believe, please correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, rules are always a point of uncertainty. For me. I
0: believe that they can kill it with the transform on the stack.
1: Okay, that's what I was getting at. And I think that's a big problem for this card, because the consistency of Thought Not See or Vendillion Click, you always knew what you were getting. You're always going to dis- disrupt your opponent somewhat. Concealing Curtains isn't going to always do that. Now, granted, all four blocker might matter in some spots, and I understand why that's part of the appeal. Um, but I am a little concerned about this card's... I guess consistency, how often it's actually going to get the job done, to say nothing to the fact that the return is immediate. So it does track with the Vendillion Click. It doesn't track as well with Thought Not Seer, which could actually leave your card down for an extended period of time.
0: Yeah, Thought Not didn't always die. It didn't always give them the card.
1: Sure, that's fair.
0: So I, I think comparing it to Thought Not Seer is kind of silly. Uh, Vendillion Click is certainly apt, and then it's just like, you know, how, how big of a deal is having to pay an extra mana up front? For the 4 if you get to curve out with it on turn one, you didn't have anything else to do, then cool. Three, four Menace is certainly a solid body, sure. Um, you know, it it works less well than Vindillion against things with Flashback. Maybe that's less of a big deal. Mm-hmm. But it, the thing that gets me is that like, and I, I try to rally against this usually as much as I can. It's like, where does this fit in? And I can't see it fitting into like any existing standard deck currently. And normally I'm just like, well, you know, if the card is good enough, you'll find a home for it. Right. And still with this card, it's like, well, it's it's like not necessarily that good to try and find a home for it.
1: That's my read on it as well. And I like I said, I I wrote an article this week over on Star City. My thesis is basically I am interested in three types of deck. The fastest aggro deck, bar none, the most disruptive aggro decks. And then decks with counter magic and the idea of playing this in a deck with counter magic just doesn't do it for me like the sorcery speed and it's funny I I think this is a moment I know they're really they're opposed to allowing you to mess with a hand at instant speed. I think this card should work at instant speed. I think it's way more interesting, way more powerful. Then it becomes one of the best cards in the set, but it's not problematically so because you're not denying your opponent a draw. They get a refresh immediately anyway. So I, I sort of like it in that context. It lets you play in those scenarios where you are, you know, a demire Control deck. As it stands now, I, I don't think I'm going to love this in Demure Control. I, it's hard for me to really see myself investing that three mana... Uh, as a sorcery, it's hard for me to believe the all 4 will be an effective blocker when typical mirror control deck you're not expecting to have a lot of creatures. So this is just sort of a lightning rod for your removal. I don't know. It, it screams mid-range deck to me. I don't want to play a mid-range deck right now. Zero interest.
0: Yeah, I will say that having some amount of disruption is definitely what the black decks are in the market for. But again, like they have to be hyper aggro or... Uh, a lot of the time they're built around the sacrifice engines, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's probably better to lean into like the zombies theme in a lot of instances, or you lean into the sacrifice theme in a lot of instances and that this doesn't really do either. And then if you're just looking for like a disruptive tool, there are better options for that too. So it's it's just a very strange card to me, and also very strange for people to latch on to is like the best card in the set. But I will say that we're going to do this top 10 in order, you know, we have a number 10 card and a number one card, but I will say that the power level of everything is like relatively flat and I don't particularly care about what the order of the cards on this list are. So if everyone else is kind of looking at the set in the same way, there's there's not like a clear runaway best card, right? So if, if you think that this is the 11th best card, or if we think it's the 11th best card or something... It's not that difficult to believe that someone else thinks it's the best card.
1: Okay, here's the problem with that, though, is that we exclude two things from our lists when we do top tens (laughs) duels and reprints duels and reprints. So if you, you want to talk about like the clear runaway cards, I think you could be in one of two camps. A lot of people think it's Thalia. I would have Thalia in like my top five to seven probably not my number one card but a lot of people think it's there my number one card when i had to do this list over in star city was just the blue red duel yep and it's by miles and that's the that's the reason i hate having duels as part of these lists is because they should probably always be your top five cards if you're just going to talk about format impact um but in this case i think it's exaggerated how far in importance above everything else the blue red duel is in the set
0: yeah, that one is obviously a huge one there. There are some other color pairs like Simic. I, I'm certainly happy with Yep. because I was playing some Simic decks before this. Not that they ended up like being anything, you know, um, and then I don't know, just color combinations like Orzhov and Golgari just aren't super well supported. So it's just like whatever, like it's, it's is it isn't one. It's not close. And I just snarls are so bad. Yes. <laughs> so uh,
1: Snarls remain hated. They do not make it as the number one card in their set. But usually if you were doing a top 10 list and you were including duels, I I think they almost always float towards the top.
0: So it was already quite good. Now it's mana is actually great.
1: So right. Scary. It's even better. Uh, enough, enough dishonorable mention. Sure. I, I'm good. I've said my piece again. I, I just want to make clear. I think the card's OK and it wouldn't shock me if it sees some play. I, I just think it's got a little bit of a hype train behind it right now.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised that people like the card. I am surprised that they're just like, oh, number one card, not close. Yep. Uh, As for honorable mentions, we each had a card on our top 10 list that the other person kind of poo-pooed. So (laughs) Brian's card is Cemetery Prowler, which is one GG, three, four. Uh, Creature Wolf, Vigilance. Whenever this enters the battlefield or attacks, exile a card from a graveyard. Spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card type They share with cards exiled with this.
1: We've talked about this card a lot. I am less over the moon about what it's going to do right now. I do think it can do something long term. It's got a bunch of uses and a pretty good floor. So uh, not really too much new to say about this card. I don't hate the fact that we're leaving it off our top 10 list. I don't think it's going to change anything right now. I don't think it shakes up the format right now. But it has potential going down the road.
0: It does have potential. Uh, I am very wary of three mana creatures that don't immediately do something or have Fair. the p- potential to immediately do something. And this like kind of does, where you could like play it, exile something, play another spell for a little bit cheaper. But like that's not uh, a huge thing for me. And the three four vigilance is above rate uh, as of like five years ago, but not really now. So yeah, it it just has like a lot of strikes against it. But if you know, there ends up being a deck with a bunch of, uh, like card drawing or something and you just get to use the cost reduction to turn through your deck. Like I, that would be awesome. I would be super happy about that. I don't think that we're there, but I don't know. No, maybe
1: I, I don't think so either based on my review of the card pool.
0: Yeah. So yeah, like you said, maybe in the future cost reduction, obviously pretty scary, but it seems like relatively tame to me. Okay. Uh, my honorable mention is a card that I'm writing about this week again on Star City Games, which is Welcoming Vampire. Two, Dub, Two, Three Creature Vampire Flying. Whenever one or more other creatures with power two or less enter the battlefield under your control, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. Uh, this this is a three drop that if you played on turn three doesn't have any immediate impact. Also, mm-hmm. but the thing with stuff like this is that if you are able to, you know. Play it in a Jasper Sentinel deck so you have an extra mana and you get to play another creature immediately after it or something like that. You could play it on turn four, get immediate value out of it. It's a little bit different, you know? And I don't think that this card is like runaway hit. You play this in all all your white decks because you just incidentally have a lot of three power stuff. The white decks also have really good things at three mana that you're already not able to pack all of them into your main deck. So like, where does this thing fit in? So I've, I found some places where I like this, uh, but I, I don't think it's just like slam dunk. You, you put it in all your white decks. And it's also weird because the kind of game plan that it promotes is not one that you talked about earlier. You know, like this is definitely a, yep. a mid-range card also or something that facilitates like a good grindy sideboard plan. And... Yep. Those, those things aren't particularly good right now.
1: Yeah, and when I'm looking at the competition at the three-drop slot, some of those are very good at doing the disruptive yeah. thing, or they're just good at like getting the edge in the aggressive mirrors. So, like for instance, Brutal Cathar against Mono Green, and uh, of course I'm talking about Elite Spellbinder versus decks you do need to disrupt. So I think the competition is just too big at the three-drop slot. It's uh, some more training wheels, some more safety valves on this card, which we appreciate. If you go back two years, there's no way this has the only triggers once a turn on it. They just let it ride. I, think. I mean, I, they, they think go- about what exists. I mean, they they would have let this one go 100 percent. No, they just no? they
0: just wouldn't make the card without it.
1: I, I wanna believe that, but then I think about the cards that were made during that time period. I don't I don't know. Either way, I'm happy this safety valve is there. Otherwise the card gets very silly very quickly. A mentor of the meek type effect is historically good enough for standard. It wouldn't shock me to see this see a little bit of play, but I think the competition is just too intense now.
0: If the format were different, I think that this would be an all-star.
1: Could be. Could be. It does some cool things with like Toski and getting wide and just a, you know, value deck that draws its entire deck, but that doesn't matter if your opponent takes all the turns. So. Right.
0: Uh as for reprints, we have a lot of good ones. We mostly talked about those last week, but we also got a uh, magma spray reprints with a slight upgrade so it can target planeswalkers now. Yeah. So that's good. Useful and, tool. Yeah. And then uh you get a slight upgrade for your pioneer deck or whatever. So
1: dope. yeah. Worth worth paying attention to for sure. And uh we know the other ones. Mulch. Thalia, uh, a Braid, Syncopate. Those are all big cards. And I think probably three of them would have made my top 10 list if we included that type of stuff in our top 10 list.
0: Same. On to the actual top 10. I kind of let Brian order these. So if you disagree vehemently with the order.
1: Throw me under the bus. And in my message where I ordered them, I say, I only care about the first two slots. Everything else is interchangeable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, or if you think that this list is in the correct order, you can, you know, give all that praise to Brian. So
1: Nobody thinks that.
0: It, it'll be. It's I don't rarity. even think that. It's <laughs> rare. <rarity. laughs> Anyone else think that? I, I mean, how many preview shows have we done? And it's basically just like, you know, doing the the Powerball lottery or whatever. It's like, it's going to take so long before we actually just gin it
1: and get it completely right. I don't think we ever have. We were pretty close with the last set. We did a really nice job with that one. But uh, even then, you know, you always miss something.
0: Yep. So uh, <laughs> to that end, our number 10 card is felstinger which is uh, 2B for a 3-2 creature zombie scorpion with death touch and exploit. And when this exploits a creature, target player draws two cards and loses two life.
1: Now, Who likes this card more, me or you? I'm pretty sure it's me. I think it's you. But I don't dislike this card, mostly because you can see this potentially falling on to those type of things. I talked about the disruptive decks or the go fast decks. This deck or this card does both ends of the spectrum. I think three two death touch body is a really good body that you're happy with in a lot of scenarios, especially if you're giving up some completely dead fodder, such as, you know, Jadar tokens, uh, Demir Zombies looks promising and does the disruption thing very well, as well as a nice clock. And then there's just the sacrifice synergies, which were very, very close. And if the meta breaks in a certain way, where we aren't as priced in to uh, countering these very problematic spells, or you know, just doing the race thing, then I think Felstinger gets to shine a little bit as a mid range tool as well. You mentioned it as a, a bit of reach. I think that's actually really important for some archetypes, and the fact that it, it is recursive reach that you can pull back out of your graveyard with like Agadeem's Awakening, that's cool. That's a cool angle that these decks previously didn't have answer or didn't have access to. So Felstinger does a lot in a sort of innocuous-looking package, but it just covers enough bases where I believe that this card can have an immediate impact.
0: I agree with all that, and you know, kind of talked about how concealing curtains doesn't really fit into where the black decks are. I think this card does because you have the sacrificial fodder and this is another card drawing thing that can make it so that you find enough duresses and go blanks after sideboarding to actually keep, is it in check? Because that was kind of the problem. It's like, you can duress them, even go blank them once, but it's like, if, if you hit them with like two go blanks, then you're in a good spot. And this is just more velocity to get you to that point where you get to hit them with a critical mass of disruption.
1: Yeah, only a few cards matter in the matchup. Is exactly, what it comes down yes. To, this just gets you there faster.
0: Yep. Uh, number nine, we have Hopeful Initiate, which is dub for a 1-2 creature human warlock with training. Uh, training is whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature, and you can pay two dub and remove two plus one plus one counters from among creatures you control to destroy, target, artifact, or enchantment. I like this card a lot.
1: I'm glad, because I don't feel like anyone (laughs) likes this card besides me. And it really took me building some humans lists and, you know, doing the read-through of finding every possible human to sort of... I mean, maybe falling in love is going a little far, but I think this card's very good, and I think it's quite an upgrade in the one-drop slot where the one drop slot is very important in this format. It's important you get onto the battlefield. The fact that this scales for sort of a long time. I mean, if you're working up the curve, it's very easy to put multiple training counters onto this. And like I said, my experience with this card was in a human's build, Selesnia uh, human's build, where... I was playing huge creatures and I had every reason to believe I would have counters all over my battlefield without being all in on a counters type strategy. And that's where I think this card really gets points for me is that it's very easy for a human's deck to get some, I won't say random counters, but they get counters without working for it. And at that point, cashing this in for, say, a removal spell. We have the silk wrap analog in this set. Uh, A Seekha's Chariot is a huge one where if you're picking that off, it could be a really big deal. I'm into Dollhouse of Horrors, so that's a really expensive artifact that you may be able to snipe out with Hopeful Initiate. So there are important targets for this in the format, but more importantly, I think this is just going to be a good body on the low. Very low investment for very high possible return on this card.
0: Yeah, I think without the second toughness, it's a little awkward because you can't necessarily train it until turn three.
1: Mm, So
0: at that point, if you're like just attacking with a a two, two, it's like pretty easy for them to just block it. But, you know, two, three is a little bit harder to do. And then there are things like the I keep forgetting, like stone binders familiar, the white one drop that gets bigger when you exile stuff like that thing can scale up to make it. So you can train this thing up to four power and then Adeline also helps you do that. So it's it's not like Pellet Collector where it just kind of like stops as a 3-3 three, three in a lot of instances. You know, like you could actually keep going with this card, which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it, it's as big as you make it. And the fact that it itself doesn't have to pick up those counters is also quite appealing to me. There's, like I said, various ways to put counters on things. And if you just have a battlefield that already has a couple counters... Uh, Ranger class comes to mind as one of the easiest ways to distribute counters around your battlefield. This Loom, can really Loom, swing Loom a game. For uh, That's another good one. Yeah, great point. And I, I think all of those things are going to bode very well for hopeful initiates, playability, and it's just kind of shocking to me that I haven't seen the card mentioned literally anywhere, and I think it's quite good.
0: I, I think it's just kind of it, an auto-include. It's not super flashy. It's like, yeah, white gets uh, a, another good one-drop, and I think it's more notable than just that because you know, maybe you could make a case for the the exile one drop, but I think this is the the best one drop that white has now. So I do think it's a big deal. I agree with you. Uh, number eight, Voldaren Bloodcaster, one B two one creature vampire wizard flying. Whenever this or another non-token creature you control dies, create a blood token. Whenever you create a blood token, if you control five or more blood tokens, transform this. And the backside is a 3-3 flying vampire wizard with at the beginning of combat on your turn, up to one target blood token you control becomes a 2-2 black bat creature with flying and haste in addition to its other types. It should also be noted that Falconrath Forebear is a card that goes along with this really well to form a nice little engine. In vampires and we talked about those two a lot last week
1: yeah and it's just a good little package that i expect the vampire decks will want to build around i'm a little concerned about the lack of toughness here we've talked a lot about how important we both believe spike field hazard will be in this format so that scares me but Despite that, I do think there is enough working here where there's also just like not a lot of good two-drop vampires. You sort of struggle to fill out that part of the curve. So this will win by default a lot of the times, but there's like a mini engine and those type of things are what make an aggro deck really good. You're not supposed to build all in on this engine. You're just supposed to occasionally... Get a free Falcon Wrath forebear out of it. Very occasionally, get to make bats out of your blood token. Now, if you're ever in that scenario, you've gotten so much from your two drop. And it's sort of like Hopeful Initiate in that way, where it's a very low cost inclusion. You kind of want what it offers, anyways. And then sometimes it's just going to go off for you.
0: Yeah. I, there are two drop vampires, but they're all kind of mediocre. Mm-hmm. And this is the one where I'm just super happy to play. And if we didn't have the forebear as the recursive threat, I would be less high on this, but we do. So that's great. And this also fits into the sacrifice decks potentially if you wanted to try and utilize this.
1: Yeah, that seems like a fine use to me and you know, get blood tokens all over the place. And we talked about maybe down the road being able to leverage those blood t- tokens for something other than just blood, maybe getting some kind of uh, artifact-based synergy out of it. So I will be keeping right. an eye on that as well.
0: And you can just deadly dispute the blood token, so it's fine.
1: Sure. I like that act, action as well. I mean, we've done that before with like uh, various little bits and pieces with our deadly disputes, you know, treasure tokens, obviously are the ones that come to mind. But any type of sacrificial fodder has uses at this moment. So,
0: Yep. Number seven, another card that I have not really seen anyone talk about is Voltaic Visionary. One R, three one creature human wizard. Tap, this deals two damage to you. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Activate only as a sorcery. When you play a card exiled with this, transform it, and it becomes a 4-3 human berserker that cannot block.
1: One other person I saw talk about that. I think it was uh, Martin Druza mentioned it as a card that he liked. But that's it. I haven't seen a lot of buzz around this card, and my read on this is you get three chances for it to be relevant, and one of them has to hit. You have this 3-1 on an empty battlefield. That's fine. You're very happy with two mana for a three-power creature, and that'll snowball the game in your favor if you're the mono-red deck, you know, trying to get those early beats. And again, I, I don't love the one toughness. I think that is a point of vulnerability in this card for sure. But where this card really sells itself to me is it's got these three chances to be relevant. You have the 3-1 body. Then as at the moment it's outscaled, you cash it in for a fresh card so it's already replaced itself and then you get another chance for it to be relevant as it flips to a 4-3 body and maybe that's big enough to go over you know your opponent's wolf tokens or even just increase your clock in a meaningful way uh, after you have to take off a turn to like play a removal spell or something there's a lot of options with voltaic visionary and again two drops uh, sort of meh nah. In red, yeah. uh, you know, this this gave me a reason to build a mono red deck again and for it to be the type of mono red deck where it's not just a worse version of mono white, mono green. That was exciting to me.
0: Yeah, mono red actually looks pretty solid because it now has mostly a full curve and yep. uh, pretty good options for a lot of the things that you would want. So, I don't know if it's going to end up being better than mono white because. The white aggro cards are just so good and so plentiful. And, you know, three ones are not going to match up well against the mono green four fours and the Sicus Chariots and stuff like that. But there's hope.
1: Always hope. And I, I agree with you. I think it's like on the lower end of the chances that this revolutionizes mono red, but still an important upgrade for that deck. And as the format gets wider and wider, maybe this will be a big part of their game plan.
0: Yep. Number six, fleeting spirit. One dub, three-one, creature spirit. Dub, exile three cards from your graveyard. This gains first strike until end of turn. And you can discard a card to exile this, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step.
1: I really like this card. And it's it's not flashy. Again, it's it's a three-one. So theoretically, it's got that vulnerability to spike field hazard, but. This ability seems very good to me. In some ways, it reminds me of Season Hollow Blade. Obviously, you're not winning a bunch of combats with the discard a card ability, but that exile three cards from your graveyard, that's a pretty easy cost to offer up. And it's threatening too. And you don't actually have to do it. Like, you, you can't block if you know your opponent has access to that. And just the threat of it is going to get you a lot of damage from this card. Uh, it combines kind of nicely with the Green spirit that was in the last set that like does stuff when things leave your graveyard. So I want to look at that package again and see if there's actually a, a green white spirit take. But I did this with Dorothea, which we talked about last week as a spot for blue white spirits to really put out some damage. I also think like the mana leak could matter a bunch. There's okay one drop spirits in blue white. You have uh, Usher of the Fallen as well as Ascendant Spirit. So you can sort of get your mana leak online very early. Lantern and Bearer's fine, too. Yeah, Lantern is okay. I, I don't I don't hate that card. And it, it does play well, too, with this ability to just put a card in your graveyard without having it to be in the battlefield and then getting the uh, dis- disturb costs, which, especially in the case of Dorothea, I think that's a really big deal. And being able to get that Geist-type effect out of nowhere should do a lot for that archetype.
0: Yeah, uh, it's definitely interesting. With uh, Welcoming Vampire, I definitely did a lot of looks into various blue white aggro decks and spirits in particular and there's there's some stuff there it's close
1: Mm -hmm. no i think so too and uh i i felt like i was on the cusp of something with the blue white spirits deck The, the awkward squeeze there is that if you're playing ascendant spirit you end up in a snow mana base and you have to play like the tap snow land i don't know if you can get away with that in this format and maybe you just you know you do gem a bunch of lantern bearers and you consent to having a a much worse creature in that spot but the idea of like being able to hold open mana and then turn it into your ascendant spirit activation was very very appealing to me so i'm going to try that one out i'm going to start with the snow version and then we'll look at some more low of the ground spirit stuff
0: mono blue is is pretty close that's where i ended up thinking okay. that it was yeah. going to be the best
1: yeah I, I just was sort of in love with dorothea for this approach because i think that clock is such a big deal and what the mono blue deck would miss, but you, you have syncopate, you have the mana league. You can sort of play a little bit longer game with those tools. So maybe you're like a curiosity away from real, me really being in love with the idea.
0: Uh, mischievous cat Geist is fine. I'm
1: going to have to read, read the text on
0: that. One. Uh, it's, it's cat guys. It's one, you one, one, uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card, disturb to you curiosity.
1: Okay. More or less. I could, yeah. I
0: could be wrong I, about some of that, but.
1: No, 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 that's that's close enough, and you're you're right that it sort of kind of does the thing you want it to do, and you might have to make a, a dummy attack with it, and five's a lot to invest in it, but you get the effect you're looking for. I th-
0: I think it like the two drop aspect of it is fine because there's a, the the three drop that like can tap a creature. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not just like oh I have to play this one one and then wait for it to die and then my curiosity's super expensive. I think it's like you try and ride the one one with the 3-1 tapper and unsummons and stuff until yeah, yeah. that runs out. But uh, okay, you can you can sack it to overcharge amalgam, too.
1: Yeah, that's nice. You could also uh, throw it up in the air if you have your your lantern geist working or lantern bearer working. So options for sure.
0: Yeah, it actually didn't look that bad to me.
1: OK, I'm, I'm excited to build that one.
0: Number five, inspired idea to you, sorcery cleave three u u crap. How am I supposed to read this? Uh, I, we got a really good
1: suggestion. I'm oh, sorry, yeah, I'm, read them I'm forgetting both. who it was from. Yeah, just read it as two different cards. That's the correct way to do it for sure.
0: Uh, inspired idea is a fancy split card. Uh, instead of it being a split card, it has this weird cleave word. So you can cast it for two you, uh, which would mean that you draw three cards and then your maximum hand size maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game, or you can cast it for three UU, which is just draw three cards, both are a sorcery.
1: Really like that this appears here on our top ten list, because the stuff we're talking about with Fleeting Spirit, Dorothea, uh, mono blue spirits, all of this stuff is made so much better by having access to inspired idea. And not only is it good in, you know, blue white shells, mono blue shells, There's also decks I've looked at where like you certainly have iteration in is it shells, but having a backup iteration where you can just always, always, always get the kind of velocity you need to work through your deck and have a deck full of fading hopes. And, you know, one for one trades, you need some some pretty deep pockets to go down that road. And I think inspired idea is going to work as those pockets for a lot of different archetypes. It's right in the middle As far as power level goes, but it just opens up so much deck building space and makes a lot possible, which is why I find it so high on our list.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I I mean, obviously it has some potential combo applications, too. I don't know what sort of things like that exist necessarily. So I mostly like this uh, in a sort of like tempo kind of deck where. You know, maybe I I saw like your list that was Delver that played all four. And I think that that's fine if you're just like kind of all in. But if you're more of like a mid-range thing, like uh, Mori's Azorius deck, like maybe you play a copy main and a copy in the sideboard.
1: Yeah, it seems fine.
0: So I like it. I don't think it's going to show up in a ton of places in huge numbers or anything, but it is definitely going to be a very important card.
1: It's one of the few cards that... Seems like it could break the paradigm of existing decks. Like a lot of this stuff is just going to slot into things that are already present, or you know, do slight tweaks on play patterns we already know and embrace. Inspired idea is the one that can actually open up some new space, and that's that traditional tempo type space.
0: Right. Number four, we have Hullbreaker Horror five UU seven eight creature Kraken Horror flash this spell can't be countered whenever you cast a spell choose up to one return target spell you don't control to its owner's hand return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand this has the stink of andrew brown all over it
1: <laughs> you feel it yeah it can't be countered huge blue creature Or you andrew we know what you're up to here he,
0: he loves his pearl like ancients and i i think that these things are really important because if there is ever a a blue deck that kind of like takes over a metagame then they have to include copies of these cards to beat each other. And then it means that they have fewer slots to uh, beat on everyone else. So they they just by like the mirror existing, they kind of like cannibalize their, uh, you know, potency in the metagame overall. And this is maybe the best one of these that we've seen. Like Nezahal in Historic is kind of unbeatable, uh, but this one might actually be better.
1: Yeah. So you make a really good point. As to why these things typically exist. And I agree with you 100%. This is so much better than that, though, I think. This is just mean
0: deckable good.
1: Yeah, it's just good against everyone. Like, think about the role that Cyclone Summoner played against Mono Green when we just had the most recent, whatever we call high level competition these days, set championship. Pro no, it was Worlds. Oh, Worlds. Okay. Yeah, there we go. You can't blame me for not knowing that. Uh, anyway, the role of Cyclone Summoner. Changed to how those green decks were able to play that matchup. They, it was a real threat against them, both in terms of body and what it did to the battlefield this is sort of doing the same thing except that instant speed so you just get got by it a lot of the time and it it eats your best attacker and then they untap and just decimate your board and not only that it protects itself after that and that can't be interacted with on the stack and it's sure as heck not going to be interacted with in terms of just doing damage to this thing because it's freaking huge seven eight is just tremendous and in a lot of instances you're not even going to be able to combine two spells to deal with this and that assumes they all get through without being challenged so i love this as just a straight up card to play in any type of blue deck that's looking to go long i think it's main deckable like you said but i will probably have more copies in my sideboard because it's going to be so critical for these matchups and if you get the hullbreaker horror edge in something like the is it mirror it's really really hard to break through we're gonna have to find some special tools i think to be able to challenge holebreaker horrors and that's kind of the, the second step, the first step is just playing this card all over the place. I also love it as a reanimation target. We've seen Tidespring sure. Tyrant do similar things, but... Uh, I had a deck in my article this week focused on dollhouse of horrors that you bring back a a little holebreaker horror. It still messes your opponent up, especially when you're playing your entire game at instant speed. You have considers, you have unexpected windfall, you have divide by zero. All of that stuff working together is going to mean your opponents just aren't going to put things on the battlefield. To say nothing of the fact that you can just play your unexpected windfall hit seven mana and play this card as a seven eight. You don't even have to do this type of shenanigans with your uh, dollhouse of horrors. So I I am into this card in multiple places. I think it's, like you said, maybe the best version of this type of creature we've ever seen.
0: Yeah, it's very good. Everything that you said is true. It all tracks. Uh, When when you dollhouse it, you know, you don't get to protect itself. But I, I think that that's just fine.
1: Well, I mean, you do in the sense that if your opponent uses anything that's expensive to interact with it, you can just time walk them over and over. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And I think that's the scenario you're going to see with this card a lot, is it's just going to lock people out of the game as you cycle through your cheap, you know, one mana considers, and then maybe you go to your expressive iterations after that, and your unexpected windfalls. There's just a lot of ways to keep churning through your deck and get more and more material. And I mentioned, like, divide by zero, that being worth two cards is really big. Like, you're just going to control battlefields with this card over and over.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I think that this card is really good, really impactful. It needs the game to be, I don't know, it needs the game to be able to, like, get to a certain point, right? And Cyclone Summoner, I think it, it's way better in those matchups specifically because you generally needed it kind of like as a sweep on the effect. turn.
1: Sure. Sure. This just certainly has way wider implications though. It whereas does. That was a super narrow tool.
0: Yeah. I mean, imagine the, the, is it mirror now before it was like, we play draw go, we set up our hands and you can't necessarily shove on like iteration epiphany. Cause if they have like a counter spell or two, then they get to untap. And now it's just like, well, if you're, set on playing draw go someone plays this thing first you you can never cast epiphany again
1: oh it's an immediate arms race there's there's no way that deck can continue to exist without having copies of this card because if you come against the mirror where they do have a copy of this card i think you're just dead in the water there's there's nothing you can do in that spot
0: yeah it's i played a decent amount of control mirrors in in historic and that's what it felt like with Nezahall, where it was sure. like you know you're set up with all these fancy counter spells and like to fairies and answers to various things. And then they just cast a Nezahol and like nothing you do matters. You just right. can't beat it. So then it was like, Oh, you start playing uh discontinuity to exile through Nezahol when they cast it. And it's just like, it's, it's just nonsense, right? Like the, the only thing that matters is that card. And I, I think that we're going to get to a point where that's true. And is in yours as well?
1: It is nonsense. But I mean, you bring up actually a good counterpoint that I would be remiss to not mention I mentioned divide by zero playing well with this card. It's also a good answer to it. That's that's true. Uh, But the thing is, it has flash. Like, how much are you really giving up if you get it divided by zero? Do you just untap and play it? Okay, I can live with that.
0: I mean, yeah, depending on the situation, you probably just like draw and pass again.
1: You You can do that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It's not like divide is a permanent answer or anything.
1: Yep. Yeah, the the flash really brings us to another level. And I, I don't know how you can profitably interact with it over the long term.
0: Yeah, and it is it is very big. Like you mentioned, you you are going to eat something against mono green or mono white basically all the time. And if you get to untap with it, I can't imagine that they get to keep a battlefield presence. It's just like you need to live to that point. And, yeah. you know, you brought up unexpected windfall ramping into a treasures. I think that's completely fine.
1: Yeah, excited to play these decks. And uh, this this next card on our list is also going right into these type of decks for me.
0: Uh, I'm on the fence, but I do think this card is good. Number three, Wandering Mind. One UR, to one, creature horror flying. When this enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a non-creature, non-land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, the, the body's just not doing it for me, you know? I, I think that, like, using this as a way to pressure the mirror matches post-board makes a lot of sense, but... Playing this main deck, hoping to trade the body away against aggro doesn't seem that likely to me.
1: Oh, my game here is all about dollhouse shenanigans. I I should have specified that I'm looking to do with this. That's
0: completely fine. I totally get that. I support that.
1: Yeah. And not only does this find your key cards, your dollhouses, but it's awesome out of the graveyard to buy back. And you just get deeper and deeper, more and more control elements. And the core of my dollhouse deck right now is Hullbreaker Horror. Lear and Wandering Mind. And I think that's all you need. It's very easy to get these cards in your graveyard. It's very easy to just play these cards as very good cards. They're all awesome when they come back as smaller versions. So uh this is sort of like my number one idea to try when we go live on Arena Tomorrow. It's just get this dollhouse into play, see what it can do. Wandering Mind, though, has some potential to break out well beyond that archetype. It goes so so deep. Uh, if you make this two-one body matter it's going to be really, really impactful if you find a way to just do a sort of... Tempo is not the right word here. Just like a value-based game plan where you do want to be on battlefield and plinking here, plinking there. You could see Wandering Mind have value there. Um, But I am excited more for this card's reanimation possibilities, which is weird to say about a 3 mana creature.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if there were more efficient ways of doing chip damage, I would be all about that sort of strategy, but most of the removal, like most of the burn removal at least, targets only creatures, uh, at least the the better ones. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm less high with that. Uh this this is a random body. You can find a lot of uses for it. So maybe we'll see. I'm also, I don't know, skeptical about the dollhouse. I think it's cool, potentially good. I don't think it's gonna be like tier one though.
1: Mostly agree with you. It it seems like a possibly less efficient version of More broken combo things, but it also has a lot of the right tools to compete with those things. So that's what really has me interested in it. It's playing the cards I would want to play anyway to challenge them. Things like Hallbreaker Horror, uh, some counter magic. So, yeah, it's got appeal as far as that goes. I also can't wait to find a way to blink Wandering Minds. I think that's going to be a really big deal. Um, and possibly something if you get access to that at instant speed, you can do it in perpetuity, do one of those things where you block and blink and uh, that type of engine, you know, give me a uh, restoration angel and I will I will have the best time ever, I promise you.
0: Oh, well, you have your teleportation circle, although not quite the same. Yeah, it's not the same. It's also awkward because that makes you want to play more creatures and this wants you to play more non-creatures. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a mess. It is a mess, but we'll figure it out, and it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Number two, Overcharge Amalgam, 2UU33, Creature Zombie Horror, Flash Flying Exploit, when this exploits a creature, counter-target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability.
1: This just seems like an easy call to me. I mean, these type of effects always matter. They're, they're always better than they look. They also look quite good, so that says a lot about what they're capable of. This having a very relevant body to play when you're not countering something really gets it points for me. The fact that you're never really without options. You can always exploit it to itself as a counter spell so that's appealing. Um, and we've seen a lot of value gained from this counter-target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability stuff. So if, like... Planeswalkers matter a bunch or, you know, any myriad number of effects that could be very important in this format, maybe Overcharged Amalgam is how you answer those effects as well. So I I, I don't know what else to say about this card. It's just, it's the next Frilled Mystic, the next Mystic Snake, the next Spell Queller, and it's got a really good type too in Zombies. So this just seems like a slam dunk.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I think that just the body itself is very good and it's not pigeonholing you into Simic like its predecessors were. So you could do blue-red, you could sacrifice your Wandering Mind, which is cool. You could do blue-black with Jadar, Shambling Ghast, all all that stuff. You can do uh, blue-white. One of my lists has like Clarion Spirit plus this card. Yeah, that's cool. And even like Mori's deck... You know, it didn't perform spectacularly at Worlds, but there was definitely something there. And if you wanted to continue working on that, I think that this fits in very well, even though most of your bodies were solid. But like you would happily trade uh, a random tutu or whatever in play for a counterspell,
1: you know? Yeah, it also just fits brilliantly with what the format's about, right? It is both pressure and... Counter magic, which is the, the two things I'm looking for all the time. I need to pressure you, I need to counter your haymakers. This does it both. So love this card in the abstract and how it lines up with the format right now.
0: Number one card. This is maybe like the weakest card that we've had for a number one, because normally it's like the, the flashy card. Yeah, yeah, it's it, so boring. It's like flashy planeswalker, flashy dragon, whatever. Uh this is Ascendant Pack Leader. G. Creature Wolf. This enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it if you control it permanent with mana value four or greater, and whenever you cast a spell with mana value four or greater, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. I will say that if you were able to just slot this into the previous format with none of the cards from this set, it would be very, very impactful. And the thing that I am concerned about is that maybe the rest of the format kind of like passes mono green by. But I doubt it. I think, I think it's still good enough, uh, and this certainly helps its causal tone.
1: I, I get your concern. Like you, I doubt it. I think Monogreen is already very good. But I also love this card's potential in things like Werewolf-style builds and the fact that they're doing something similar but slightly different makes it less likely that this card just gets totally passed by because you could do something with, like, Tovalart, draw a bunch of cards, and, you know, we have better mana bases now. So maybe you're a three-color teamer Werewolf's deck, and you are finding your negate to counter the burn down the house. And there's a lot of moves you can make with this card for aggressive decks, besides just saying... We got our one drop, but still we got our one drop. Like this is what was missing from all those decks before. So you you don't have to make those kind of moves. You can just beat down. And it was a good strategy in the last format. Going to be good in this format. And definitely the most boring number one card we've ever had. I have to say just nothing exciting here. A, a stupid one drop that is going to do some damage and gets bigger. Enjoy.
0: Yeah, I mean, when the decks don't have access to really any playable one drops suddenly you give them one and it's a very good one that scales up really well it's like well that's that's a game changer everyone else gets tools you get tools as well and hopefully this allows mono green to keep up with everyone else even though you know two color decks are getting better mana bases Uh, a a lot of the cards on the list are like two and three mana uh creatures a lot of the times like a lot of the decks are uh, trimming their mana curves, getting a little bit more faster, uh, certainly upgrading power in a lot of places. So I don't know. We we will see if this is enough. Uh, but yeah, if if something like Teemer or even Gruul end up being better choices, just because they're a little bit more robust than Mono Green, I wouldn't be yep. shocked. But they're still going to include this card. I
1: think you're right. That that was a fast top ten, Gerald. We we blew through that in record time should have done 13 i guess i guess we could have fit in 13 anything else you want to say about you know where you're starting tomorrow what what's the first deck you build when you get your cards
0: um i definitely want to try either some zombie thing or some black mid-rangey thing and i definitely want to play with overcharged amalgam in a lot of spots yep and like Hullbreaker horror is awesome but i think that's more of a thing that i will be doing once the format settles
1: okay that is fair i'm going to ask you for a number now this is going to be a very specific god this is going to be a very specific number about a very specific thing I i want percentage chances that this set is able to institute format churn I mean, that's not that specific.
0: I thought you were going to keep specific. going.
1: No, that's, that's it. That's all That's all I have. I, I, I want to know, are we doomed with the metagame that we've had up until this point where it's sort of, is it linear beatdown? Nothing else, except these occasional outliers that pop up, but it's still ultimately driven by, is it linear beatdown? Do you see anything here that can move that needle?
0: I think with everyone getting upgrades, the needle is it's gonna move. Like it's definitely better than it was before because we we have a decent amount of tools, not a ton. Uh so you want the number like one to ten, the amount of churn that is going to
1: happen. You can give me a percentage chance that oh. we have a fresh looking format after two weeks of Crimson Vow.
0: Mm, like defined fresh, obviously. Twenty five percent.
1: Okay, that's lower than I expected you to give us.
0: So, I think the decks that were good are still going to be good. Uh, what What is going to happen in the first week or two is that people are going to be building beatdown decks, and they're going to be doing pretty well, and then there's going to be some sort of blue deck that adapts to be able to beat them, and then that deck is still probably going to have the tools to compete against everything. And I don't know if it's going to be like Epiphany or Dragons or just like Leer Control or something like that, but the, the blue cards with the tools that they have are still, I think, just a, a lot better than the other stuff.
1: I sadly agree with that. I think blue is still king. I think that I'm going to go with 30% chance of churn and a meaningfully different format, something we're excited for. But a lot of this just lines up with what we've been doing and... Sort of tweaks those ideas, drives uh small change in terms of deck construction, in terms of maybe like a lower to the ground blue deck now having a chance, as opposed to just like the middle of the ground, top of the ground type deal. It was just, is it dragons up to, is it epiphany? I could see something lower on the curve. Is it Delver-ish stuff nah. now existing? I... I don't know. Like, inspired idea is a big deal for those decks, and so is syncopate For that matter, the fact that you just have a consistent counterspell could really get a lot. And overcharged to Malcolm too. There's just really good threats that are still doing this disruptive idea. So, that challenging the big is it decks doesn't seem impossible to me.
0: I think lower lower the ground blue deck is likely reasonable, but I don't think it's going to contain Delver.
1: Okay, uh, I'm I'm willing to concede that point delver is uh, a hard sell I've, I've got some lists that look decent but uh yeah lower to the ground blue be it spirits mono blue spirits azoria spirits zombies reaching out to blue for a recharged amalgam all those things seem plausible to me
0: yeah i think that we're probably going to have a vampire's deck that is playable which is good because that adds like a new wrinkle to the format and maybe that's a deck that's like Decent against mono green and mono white. Like we need a beatdown deck that's good against the other beatdown decks, right? And then worse against Epiphany. And I think that that would help. Or maybe it's even just like black midrange that is now playable enough against the izet decks, but like really good against aggro.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If it gets that as it match up to like 45% and just dumpsters the aggro decks, you could see turn that way as well.
0: Yeah. And we, we have tools for that. So... I'm definitely interested in trying those things. And the the Amalgam stuff is just f- fun for me. I just want to be doing that stuff.
1: Okay. Well, it is uh, six in the afternoon here on the East Coast as we finish recording this. And I'm just going to go to bed and wake up tomorrow and have it be Crimson Vow Day. That seems like the best way to just skip ahead into the future. Dude, you're going to have to sleep for a long time. That's fine. Uh, I have NyQuil. I'll just, just go to town, get under that weighted blanket. Take a nice 20-hour nap and wake me up when Crimson Bow is here.
0: I can't sleep for more than three hours in a row, man. I'm jealous.
1: It's that cat life. Game. Good luck.